Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us, but truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. You know, we just came out of um, an election year, um, one of the most obviously divisive uh, contestable, um, heated, inflamed, and really hostile political environments that I have ever witnessed. Probably not one of the most, but the most. And so my educated guess is that's going to continue. We are a polar, uh, po- polarized nation when it comes to politics and values and philosophy. And, um, how how we want the culture to be um, aimed and tilted and steered. Uh, it's just a very, very divided republic here in the United States of America. And so there is only one hope, and without sounding glib, I will just say at the onset that the only hope for the United States of America is a heaven-sent revival that can be properly, wisely, humbly, and yet boldly stewarded by the church by the Christians in the United States of America. Now, that's an entirely different topic, and it's really not exactly what I want to talk about today. Recently, we finished up a podcast series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and um, then I did one kind of uh, miscellaneous one on what the kingdom is not. I really encourage you to listen to that one. I think really that last podcast attaches itself to this one, because if we don't understand the big K, kingdom of God, then we will inevitably live... Um, with a loyalty to a lesser kingdom, a little K kingdom, and it'll be the kingdom of our own choosing, whether it's the kingdom of politics, the kingdom of denominational religion, the kingdom of uh, capitalism, the kingdom of socialism. You know, there's so many rival kingdoms and they're all inferior to the kingdom of God, but there's something about our hearts that tends to want to drift into a little K kingdom that looks a lot like us. And so Jesus actually calls us out of that. And he says, you need to take up your cross. You need to follow me. You need to deny yourself. That's a huge component of the kingdom of God is you can't actually live in the kingdom unto the kingdom of God unless you deny yourself. And so I'm thinking much about politics. I actually put a question out on social media just asking people, hey, what would you like to hear discussed in um, the podcast and upcoming episodes? And um, got some great feedback, but I want to honor my dad. My dad is Doug Lyle. My dad said, Jeff, I'd love to hear you talk about uh, where is the place of political dissent uh, within the kingdom? Where's the Christian's proper position um, when it comes to voicing political dissent? And my dad is very um, outspoken about his highly conservative political beliefs, makes no apologies for them. My father has uh, fought for his country. He served in the Vietnam War. He has um, poured his life into um, the best that he can, like any of us, into what he considers biblical values and the logic My dad is very much like me, or I guess I'm like him, very much a logical, objective approach to truth, what is true. And so that lands my dad on the side of uh, conservative politics, and he has been very um, alarmed, heartbroken, and angry 
over the direction the country is going as he has poured his life into this nation for his 75 plus years on planet earth. And so in honor of my dad, I want to answer that question the best that I can. It won't be a full answer. So apologies ahead of time, dad. But for those of us that are thinking about politics, where is our place? If we don't like what's going on politically, um, how do we voice that? Or should we voice that? Do we have any biblical right to voice our political dissent? And um, what does the Bible say, either in precept or principle, about this topic? Now, I just want to tell you, it's been my practice, personally, not to invest a whole lot of my public communication into the world of politics. And this is just for me. Frankly, I think it's an unworthy steward of my time, um, or my thoughts or my energies, and definitely my words. I don't want to sound cavalier, but I've got a much higher calling than to get dedicate myself to the, to the sad world of American politics. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying I only have an allotted time on planet Earth and only have an allotted amount of words before I die, and I want to use them wisely. And I personally don't feel like the best use of my influence, words, and time is to talk a lot about politics. It doesn't mean I don't believe that they're important. It doesn't mean that I don't have strong political values and opinions. It just means that for every word I give to uh, the political debate that never gets solved, I cannot use that same time, energy, and vocabulary to the kingdom of God and advancing the kingdom of God, which is the calling that I'm going to give an account to for before the Lord. But, you know, this present season that we're in and we just came out of, it, you know, it contains everything from, you know, impeachment talks to talks about voter fraud and stealing the election. And that's been going on for, you know, basically um, five or six years. And Washington, D.C. is just a mess. It is a no-holds-barred spectacle of foolish contention in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, I just want to give like a 10,000-foot view. Let me give you a couple of verses that drive my approach to how I engage politically. Um, Psalm 60. You might want to write these down. I'll just let me give you a few psalms. Psalm 60, and verse 11 says, it's the prayer of the writer of the psalm. He says, give us help from trouble for vain is the help of man or empty is the help of man. Um, psalms 146.3, put not your trust in princes nor in the son of man in whom there is no help. Another psalm, Psalm 108.12, give us aid, O God, against the foe for the help of man is worthless. And then Psalm 118, verse number nine, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So those are Psalms. Those are not necessarily theological instruction, but they're, they're under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the consensus of those four verses from the Psalms is that human help, when we need humans to be our rescue or when we are considering our desperate situation, the help of human beings, the help of man is worthless. I mean, scripture is clear on the matter of hollowness, of placing our confidence in human ability. And we all understand that occasions are going to arise during our lives where no human help will suffice. Nobody can rescue us. No friend, no loved one, nobody's going to be able to reverse whatever it is that is in that moment overwhelming us. I mean, frankly, there's times where there's not a single person among the homo sapiens who can defend or protect us from the threatening forces that are coming against us. And guys, I mean, let's just acknowledge it. Life is often a stern faced teacher that instructs us firmly about these realities that literally there's no human help, no political help, no political party, 
No rescue coming from politics and from any other sector where humanity is enthroned as being central. Um, having said that, there's also generational shifts that occur during our lifetime, lifetimes, and clearly we're in the midst of a massive cultural and generational shift now in America. And these changes are impacting every sector of our society from politics to education, um, entertainment, business, the realm of family. <laughs> Culture is trying to change the definition of family and seemingly succeeding at it. And the church has gone mute. And then, of course, we got ever-changing religious issues. All these shifts are happening. So I, just, I would just say this, humanly speaking, from, from the view of, of humanity, from the standpoint of man, uh, guys, the feathers have been released into the wind, and there will be no human ability to place them back in the bag from which they, they've flown. Politics is not going to fix any of this. So these days, all of the contention and the change and the combustion seems to be landing, you know, most heavily, in my opinion, in the political world. And that's why all eyes have been and are still fixed on our nation's capital here in America. People are actually expecting, which is ludicrous, but they're actually expecting some semblance of reason and order or truth to proceed from Washington, D.C. But what we're actually getting from there is a constant ooze of undefined sludge <laughs> or maybe you haven't noticed that um let, let me just say this and this will alarm some of you I, i'm not a republican i'm not a democrat i'm actually a, an independent voter but i lean heavily conservative on nearly every issue i'm probably better grouped with libertarians than i am with republicans i'm certainly not a democrat and and the reason is because i'm unapologetically pro-life and I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I will never have to answer to the Almighty for why I cast a vote for any candidate whose platform included um, the lessening or the removal of legal protections for the unborn. And for me, this is the vital vote-determining issue in politics. That's why I voted for Trump. Do I think he's a godly man? No. Do I think he's Messiah? No. Do I worship him? No. But he's certainly going to make it harder for people to kill babies. And the Biden-Harris ticket are already going to be moving in legislation to, to advance the easier means of killing babies. So that's why I voted for Trump. It's not because I think he's an awesome man of character. No, but he protects my most important value, the value that I think um, America has gone so hardcore blind on that we, we, we're ignorant of the fact that wrath is coming. God has judged historically every nation that kills their babies. It's in the Bible. You see it in the Bible and you see it throughout history. So, I mean, every political decision that I make is tethered to my biblical values. What I communicate on politics is connected to biblical principles. And so, guys, it's the Christian civic responsibility to vote. You know, I heard a lot of people saying, well, I'm politically homeless and I don't have anywhere that I can vote with a clean conscience. Well, I'm, I'm not here to you know, to regulate anybody's conscience. But I'm like, my goodness, we got to make some stands. You, just because you can't get the whole package doesn't mean you can't get representation of, of biblical values. And, and, and guys, a lot of people copped out in the church and didn't vote at all. And I believe it's our civic responsibility to do it. But having said that, I still end up with only one vote. <laughs> 
That's the thing that drives my unwillingness to give myself to politics in the end, no matter how strong my convictions are, no matter how much social media venting I do, no matter how many people I feel need to hear what I have to say, it all boils down to you have one vote, I have one vote in every election. And I I keep hearing Christians, by the way, among all other sectors of American voters, not just Christians, but I keep hearing Christians pumping out fear and anger and outrage and, frankly, good old-fashioned hate as they express their political persuasions. And I don't think that God's happy with any of that. So how do we, how do we voice our political dissent? Well, a whole lot more carefully than most of us are doing because in the end, we're still only left with one vote. And so I think we prayerfully make up our mind about how we're going to vote. And then once we do that, we reroute all our mental energy, our potential verbal releases, our emotional investments, and our strong heated opinions Take all of that energy and reroute it towards things that actually hold everlasting value. I mean, guys, how did we Christians end up locking any measure of hope into what is the most absurd, spiritually void, irrational, and truthless federal representation in the history of the republic? How did we give 95% of our energies, vocabularies, thoughts, and everything to the, the deadness of American politics? You may not know the name Leonard Ravenhill, but if you don't, you should, especially if you have bold convictions and you like people that boldly express um, their uh, spiritual convictions as Christians. Leonard Ravenhill gave some famous words. I think they fit perfectly with what I have observed in the last couple of years among Christians who frantically are clinging to American politics as their sole life preserver. And Ravenhill said soberly, many years ago he said, Many of us are hunting mice while lions devour the land. Many of us are hunting mice while lions devour the land. That's the way I view the overt political dissent, outrage, anger, hostility, divisiveness coming from Christians. Again, I want to be very clear because the inner protest says, but Jeff, these things are important and we're losing our country. Can, Can I just give you some grim news? Um, the, the country is temporary. The republic is temporary. The governmental system here is temporary, no matter who's in power. It's all temporary. Why? Because there's a king coming. And the king says that he's going to put down. He's going, literally, the Bible says that, that literally Jesus is going to destroy the kingdoms and the governments of, of man. Did, did you know that? that? That Jesus is not coming to simply tweak or overhaul but he's, he's coming to destroy. Um, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 24. It says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after des- destroying every rule, every authority, every power. Jesus comes, delivers the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 24. That's not a small statement. And so here we are trying to prop up something permanently that that the Bible is already clear. It's going to be destroyed. And so what that does is that takes it down a notch. In other words, it removes it from being all-consuming, all-important, and it puts politics in the proper perspective that, that, that my politics must be submitted to the kingdom principles that Jesus Christ will establish. So guys, I'm convinced that America's only hope is, is true, sustained Holy Spirit revival. 
And I actually believe this can be entrusted to the church. I, I believe we can properly and honorably steward revival when God sends it. There can be wide-scale repentance and consequent soul salvations in our nation, even in the midst of its decaying culture. And the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ can radically shift our nation's values back to a righteousness that befits a country that's been so graced like these United States of America have been. And if that's going to happen, the church has to steward it, and the church can't steward it when the church is actually violating constantly kingdom principles as the church, as Christians, are expressing their political dissent. They're actually, in doing so, in many, many, many cases, especially online, we are actually violating kingdom principles in order to vault or vaunt our political principles. And the kingdom fruit of love and joy and peace and kindness are, are dismissed instead of those same fruits replacing this toxic atmosphere of classism and racism and violence and immorality and greed. I mean, think about this. The babies who are currently in our nurseries at church or in the culture, they could actually live in a world of hope by the time they enter middle school if the church will repent of being so politically driven and start being kingdom driven. Not only can these babies end up in a world of hope, but the poor can currently be helped. The hungry and the helpless can be actually be fed and sheltered. The vulnerable can be valiantly protected. The neglected can, can be cherished. The addict can be delivered. Not through politics. Politics will never solve any of that. But because of the power inherent in the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything that I just described can actually become a reality. And immeasurably more than what I just described. This is this is a standing offer to God, to his people, if we truly want it. And if we truly want it, we're going to have to invest our souls, our words, our times, our energies, our thoughts, our passions. We're going to actually have to reroute them into the kingdom. And that means you won't be able to give your utmost allegiance to your American politics. And by the way, let me just say this. There's a lot of people that say, wait a minute, Jeff, I love Jesus. I'm saved. And that's why I care the way I care, because my Christian values are no longer going to be represented. And it's going to it's going to erode everything. And, and, and listen, I get that. But check yourself, because if in presumably protecting your Christian values by giving political dissent, if in doing so, you're actually undermining Christian values, if you're undermining Christian values by your political um, agenda, your political loyalties, your political advancements, if in using politics to protect your, presumably protect your Christian values, but in doing so, you're actually moving in a spirit that is different from the spirit of Jesus. I mean, read, read Jesus's life. None of the politics of Jesus's day were um, fitting of the kingdom of God. And look how little he said. Look how little Jesus said about politics. Look at Paul and the apostles when they wrote. I mean, guys, they lived under a political system that burned Christians alive and enforced Roman rule through the threat of violence. The Pax Romana, Roman peace in Paul's day in the first century, was enforced through the threat of violence. It's an ironic thing. And so what did Paul write? Remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2? He said, first of all, first of all, so prioritize this, Paul says to Timothy, 
I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Wow. That does not look like how we Christians were in really, I mean, just in years and years. When Trump was in power, liberals, political liberals that are in the church, they were going after him with such hostility and ungodly, sinful words and ways. And and then when it became apparent that Trump was going to lose the election and indeed ended up losing the election, whether you think it was valid or not, it doesn't matter. He's not in the White House anymore and Biden is. And now conservative Christians are doing the same thing against Biden. And how does how on both sides of the aisles, liberal and conservative Christians, are we offering supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings for all those that are in high positions so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way? I think not. I think we have to be honest. We're not doing that at all. And so when Paul wrote to the church at Rome, in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for, the, watch this, there is no authority, Romans 13, 1, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So when Trump was president, I want you all to hear me, God put him there. Now that Biden is president, God has removed Trump and he has put Biden in the White House. That's what the Bible teaches. And so verse two of Romans 13 says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. That is strong language from the Bible. If we resist the authorities, we resist what God has appointed and we will incur strong judgment from who? From both the government and from God. And then verse three, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Remember that was written in the Roman empire where they were burning Christians. They were killing Christians. And Paul is saying here from the concept of God's sovereignty, they're not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And he writes, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive approval for he is God's servant for your good. And then it says again, down in verse number four, he is the servant of God. And so in verse five, the conclusion, therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And that's amazing to me. I mean, the, the teaching of Scripture is whoever is in authority, God sovereignly put him there to accomplish God's purposes. And here we are, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, or, or both of our, our political parties in the church have a history of railing against the person in authority. You know, I, I learned my lesson with that. Uh, I was hopeful when President Obama was elected in the first term. I thought it was I thought it was an awesome thing in our nation that an African-American man was the president. But I soon learned um, that his politics were antithetical to Scripture, primarily when it comes to human sexuality, the definition of the family, the life of the unborn or the not yet born. Um, all of those things were in complete opposition to Scripture. And so by the time his second term rolled around, I was pretty vocal uh, about not wanting him to get elected. And then, of course, he won. And I remember standing up in the, po uh, the pulpit um, after he won, and I just told the people, he's my president. I wasn't enthusiastic about it, but he's my president, and I'm going to obey Scripture. And I'm not going to speak out against him. I will speak out against the issues. I will give a biblical perspective on the issues. 
but railing against the government, railing against a political party, railing against um, an individual who holds office solves nothing. And it actually, in my opinion, violates scripture. And so I, I think in closing, let me just say this. Um, it's just so hard to talk about this stuff because there's so much to be said. I might have to do another episode on it, but um, some Christians really don't seem to believe that the hope is in the church. They really do seem to have abandoned the idea that God's going to do something through the church and they're expecting and looking for political corrupt American politics to do what only can be accomplished through the church. And so all that revival stuff I talked about earlier about people getting set free and healed and living in a world of hope, it seems like a fairy tale, fairy tale to a lot of Christians because they actually believe more greatly in what politics can bring them. I mean, frankly, they're living with a higher functional confidence in, in man than they have in God. So, well, Jeff, how do you know that? Well, because the communication of the mouth reveals the content of the heart. That's a, that's a principle. The communication of the mouth reveals the contents of the heart. And too many of us turn our eyes to the Republicans or to the Democrats with the expecta- expectation of, of rescue. And it's like we're saying to them repeatedly, save us from the other side of the aisle. We are trusting you, our representatives, our, our hopes are in you to preserve what we cherish or to provide what we've never been given. And apart from you, Democrats or Republicans, we feel we have no hope. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, we put on our Sunday clothes, we drive to the church and we sing I think with spiritually off-key hearts, <laughs> we sing, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's a lie. We're not standing on Christ the solid rock when we spend all week long going after um, political stuff. Our songs are nowhere close to being true to what's actually being exposed to, to be the major content of our heart. So I'm not saying that you can't give dissent. To my dad, whom I cherish and honor, who's very politically motivated in in a lot of his online posts because he cares. He actually cares. I care. But what I'm saying is there's a difference between caring and being concerned versus caring and being consumed. And a lot of us in the church allowed ourselves to get consumed, and we have to repent of that. I mean, if I'm looking at Scripture and I'm seeing a far worse political climate towards Christians in the first century, and Jesus didn't say anything about it. He actually said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Paul said, pray for all of those that are in authority and be subject to them and don't resist them and live a quiet, godly, peaceable life because that's the will of the Lord. And they were living in a far worse political climate than us. We, we, we have some things to, to consider. So my Christian brothers and sisters, I'm pleading with you. Get yourself in the presence of King Jesus. He's your governor. And ask him to reveal where your heart's laser is presently aimed. Seriously, what are you truly hoping for? And in what are you truly hoping? I, I understand politics have some very intense political ramifications. I'm not saying that politics don't matter. I'm saying they do matter. But they don't matter so much that we are allowed to let them usurp our kingdom loyalties, our kingdom virtues, our kingdom values. And I don't think you can remain as politically engaged at the level that you are with sinful tendencies of our hearts being given vent to and still be loyal to the kingdom. I'm just saying I think that politics matter far too greatly 
to many Christians who've become benumbed to the reality that politics have become their primary religious altar. And by the way, I'm, I'm also still saying this. You still only end up with one vote in each election. No matter how much of yourself you give to politics over the next two years or four years, you still only have one vote. So all of our social media posts, our protests, our proclamations, they're not changing anyone's mind. I'm a pragmatist. I don't invest myself in what is ineffective. And nobody's minds were changed. Listen, nobody's post made a dent in the election. Everybody had their mind made up. And I think it's the height of ignorance to believe that my online voice is somehow going to shake up the system. Everybody's minds have been made up. We're actually not truly speaking to bring political change. We're, we're basically arguing, debating, inventing. And we're making no difference while, the, going back to Ravenhill's quote, the same marauding lions that have consumed human lives for generations here in America, they continue to devour the land while our hearts have gone after those constantly squeaking political mice. And we're not catching any of the mice. And so... In closing, the God of eternity has declared that to place our hopes in humans is folly. Remember those verses from the Psalms. Man's help is worthless. It's not debatable. It's in the Bible. And it is everlasting truth from the highest governmental throne in existence when he says, vain is the help of man. Put not your trust in man. So maybe we need to bow before God's throne a little longer during the upcoming you know, election seasons in the next couple of years. And let's not waste another entire session, a uh, season of our lives leading up to election, grasping at scurrying mice while the paw of the lion is reaching for us and everybody around us. Figure out a way to give your political opinions without giving way to wrath, hostility, venom, venting, accusation, slander, all of those things are sinful. And most of us, quite honestly, are not regulating that. I'm an all or nothing dude. And so if I'm going to do politics, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to go hardcore after it. Colossians 3 tells me this, whatever I do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. So the question is, if you want to give political dissent, if you want to be a protester, if you want to be a political activist or an advocate, can you find a way to do it as unto the Lord? And if you're doing it as unto the Lord, then you are careful, you are conscientious, you are thinking about what you are communicating, you're thinking about how it represents Jesus Christ, who is the king above every king. And, and here's, here's the out for the Christian. Remember this. When he sets up the kingdom and delivers it over to the Father, it'll be after he's destroyed every single human governing authority, every system on the earth. None of that makes it into the kingdom. There is no, no Republicans in the kingdom of God in the final say. It's not there. There's no Democrats. There's no um, uh, Pentagon. There, there, there's there's no, no, no Kremlin. There's no North Korea. There's no Iran. It's all gone. None of that's there. No Buckingham Palace in the kingdom. Every rule, every authority, every power is going to be destroyed. Why? Because there's only one fit to govern, and his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he demands your full allegiance and your full loyalty. 
And so as we close today, I think I've said that like three times, but I really am done. As we close today, if you're going to honor Jesus with your politics, you're going to have to be very careful about how you express your dissent because there is clear scripture that warns us about the need to submit to the authority that God ordains. Then we have the examples of Jesus who every political leader he came into contact with, he didn't, he knew everything that was wrong with him. He could have destroyed him in an instant. He could have called him anything in the book. And he just, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. He took it. And the apostle Paul did the same. Paul honored human authority, knowing that God had established it. And they lived under a far more wicked regime than any American has ever lived under. So those are my thoughts today. They probably won't empower you in what your flesh wants to do, going out and giving yet another rant. But they will give you plenty to consider during a a political season that's not going anywhere in America. We're going to be tested on this, and we will all give an account. Signing off for today. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Have you gotten a copy of Jeff's book? His autobiography, titled Figuring It Out As I Go, shares Jeff's journey from being abandoned at childhood to journeying through the maze of addiction as a teen and young adult, into his supernatural deliverance at the age of 24, and then into the fascinating pilgrimage into the depths of the Holy Spirit. Order your copy today at jefflyle.com or anywhere online where you buy books. You can also hear Jeff narrate the book by ordering an audio copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at audible.com.